welcome to episode we're not really sure of episode. And, and we don't even know what day it is because that's a, you know, you stay inside, you forget the day, you forget it's night or, night or day, nine to five, five to nine, whatever. I do know whether it's night or day, at least. That is one thing that I'm still on top of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sort of know. It just, it just feels like my days blend so much that I literally just, it feels like the boundaries are, are dissipating. Or whatever you want to call them. They're just they're dissolving. I don't know. Yeah. What did you send us? <laughs> I need to know. Like, my boss sent it because they're this local fam- family in Raleigh that does these really good, uh, like, parody videos. And this is a foreigner <laughs> cover of, I want to know what day it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> For real. <laughs> All right, so we're ready to go here. Yeah. Who wants to kick right. us off? Wait, aren't we already going? <laughs> Do we need what? to announce ourselves? Is there day? is there any is there really any difference between when we're on and when we're not? Like, See, that's what I'm saying. Does any does anything matter anymore? This no. whole thing can be a cold <laughs> open, and then we'll do the title like halfway through, and then continue on as if it didn't happen. Let's do that live from New York for now. <laughs> well, our special guest is COVID. Dare we say that COVID has superpowers? <laughs> <laughs> a long I'm not. I don't want to ask it about it at all. <laughs> I don't care about the answer. I only ask questions where I care about the answer. <laughs> uh, I think it sort of does have a superpower, though. I do think that a pandemic is an exponential way of you know making folks get clearer about the things that matter it has a way of making the things like you know that that special feature where it can blur everything in the background and we can see your face clearly sort of like that it's like oh okay because you go into that hyper vigilant mode with that fight or flight usually at least for me and so i feel like it's helped me get a little bit more clear about the things that matter like if something should happen to me my family i i do know what i want to happen and I do know that I don't want to spend my whole days at work. And it's been more like because my days have been blending and bleeding into each other. I'm like, no, this is not a sustainable life, period. It's just not like, so I need to get very clear. And I and I had goals for the weekend to actually like be very specific in writing those things down. So for me, there's been some type of a silver lining, which is just helping me get more intentional. Yeah. The other superpower it has is getting millions of people to practice mutual aid. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's an interesting dichotomy between what humans actually do and and the stories that get told about what humans do when the shit goes to hell. And I wonder if that's partly because the people that end up getting writing stories that get wide distribution, whether it's a movie or a book or whatever, whether they think those stories are realistic, I don't know. But I wonder if they get like widely distributed because the elites think that that's what humans are going to do because that's the way they see the world. And so they, you know, propel those stories because that's the narrative that they expect. And I've, I've always, that's something that's been popping up in, in little discussions here and there. And something I've been pondering lately, like why there's always such a difference there between fiction and reality. Mm, that is such a good point, right? Like the gatekeepers, you know, they always say the people who wrote, who write history are the ones who are, or like they're the victors, but I think it's also they're the gatekeepers. And this is also why I, I tend to question like, all right, whether it's a video or some type of whatever the media is, I question who is the curator behind it. And I have to kind of look down or look and drill down on their values and what they are kind of contributing to the conversation. Cause I can't, I just, I can't trust that everyone has the same shared morals and beliefs that I do. And they don't have to, but it certainly does inform the way I consume things nowadays. Yeah. It reminds me of a couple of, like, probably about 10 or 15 years ago when um, the people's history of the United States was like a big popular thing. And the, someone had written a um, Howard Zinn reviews, Lord of the Rings. And it was sort of a political breakdown of like, you know, we, we keep being told that Sauron is this terrible thing and it's pretty much all propaganda like what you know what was the real goals like why is the the victors of this battle telling the story about how good they were and how evil he was and like i think it was largely presented as parody but it was actually a really interesting point to question those narratives 
Hmm. I need to check that out because I don't know if I ever watched that. Let's see if I can dig it up. I think it was McSweeney's. That'd be great. Thank you. Not McSweeney's. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about the idea of like people in the future are going to want to like understand how I'm feeling right now, um, which is kind of like a weird feeling. Like someone was saying, I've, I, I haven't been exactly journaling, but like I have been kind of just like writing down thoughts sometimes because they're like, you know how like after something crazy happens in the world and then like people read journals of like people who went through it, like that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. So that was kind of like, yeah, it feels wild Ooh. to me. The other interesting thing is that this is the first global pandemic in the age of Twitter. So yeah. in a sense, there will be more of that available for future historians than ever before. Yeah, I started thinking about that. Like, I, I feel like I do want to record my thoughts simply because like, you're going to remember them differently in the future. And having a record will actually be useful. That's a good point, too. Unless somebody alters our damn audio. <laughs> <laughs> Creates deep fakes about us. <laughs> Look, the point is that my shit posts are providing a service to the future of humanity, okay? That's the point. That's what I would, here. I would absolutely agree with that. That's a good point, okay? I agree. I agree. <laughs> so I feel I mean, good about myself already because we're going to be contributing to the greater good and to humanity and, you know, write our, write our story. Yeah, maybe, like, historians are going to listen to this podcast in the future. <laughs> they, they better. <laughs> <laughs> if they know what's good for them, they will. <laughs> A threat. <laughs> hey, future historians, if you know what's good for you. That's right. Keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, I, I think it might be great for context to feel like, to kind of, like, identify right now like oh, yeah. who we are and how we're showing up right like for where example, we are yeah like i'm in the midwest I'm in chicago and you know i'm a working mother i have a, i run a business i'm a consulting business and i also work somewhere else i work at a company called village md and so we're in healthcare. my mom lives like two miles away so i joke and like we're a multi-generational household <laughs> My mom's here mostly almost every single day. And um, she actually works in the health system and she goes into the hospital every day. So oh, we're nice. as a family. Yeah. As a family, we're dealing with this all differently. We got kids, we got people basically, my kids are five, five-year-old twins, you know, and my mom's not going to tell, tell her age, but we got a span going. And so over here, what I will say is that I'm feeling lots of emotions. And as a person who just deals with, you know, being in a couple of different cultural identities, I feel like this is impacting people in my life drastically. I get nervous, but I also have some hope and some, I think, belief that we, we can overcome it. I just want to see more sharing of resources, if that makes any sense. For sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just outside Boston. I also work a healthcare company. It's it's interesting. I've been working from home since 2013 or whatever. So, like, my actual normal routine hasn't really changed much. I work the same stuff. Obviously, work is crazier now because we're supporting, like, virtual health uh, initiatives and, and things like that. And those are really busy right now. But the mechanics of it haven't changed. But, like, everything else around it has changed. And and one of the things I um, actually had really good advice from my therapist last time that, you know, just because like that hasn't changed doesn't mean you're not dealing with like so much stuff and you can't just assume the same level of productivity and the same level of interest and in all the things that you used to be doing and getting them done and don't like not beating yourself up because, you know, you're not cleaning the pantry and doing workouts and, and also completing that website you were going to build just because you have more time at home doesn't mean you have more cope available. Yeah, I've been struggling with that a lot myself because I guess I'll do my thing. Uh, I'm in upstate New York, western New York, and um, that's really weird because being in the same state as New York City but not being in New York City is like a very weird experience right now. We're not using the phrase shelter in place in New York, but we've been pretty much sheltered in place and like longer here than like you would have expected because they put the order out for the whole state and so it hadn't really blown up here at the point where like we were like all right everything's done like we're shutting down um so that's been kind of interesting and weird 
Um, but I'm not working. I had quit my job at the end of the year and was taking a couple of months off. Um, I was going to do some theater. Uh, I had a theater production in South by Southwest that I was lined up to do. So that got canceled. Um, and I've been kind of job hunting, but, um, that's been tough. A lot of places are on hiring freezes and such right now, even though like I was already working remotely before all of this and I was looking for remote work. Um, but I've been at home a lot. I have a lot of time and I'm struggling with what you were just talking about, John. Like I want to get stuff done. I want, I can relate also to what Shantae was saying about like being intentional. Like I keep thinking about like, this is a good time to be intentional, but then I just have been struggling to actually do it. Like there are days when I get a bunch of stuff done and I feel like, oh, you know, I got a bunch of stuff done and it like feels good. And then there are days and like today and yesterday have been those kind of days where I'm just like, I can't, I don't know. I just, I'm, I don't know where the time has gone because I've been staring off into space or something. Um, so that's been really tough and I'm trying to like not beat myself up about it because I agree that like, that's not productive, like helpful, but it's, I wish I could push past it because it's making it worse <laughs> and if I could push past it and get something done I know I would feel better but like I can't sometimes yeah I'm in Portland Oregon and we are near Washington but our reported case rate is relatively low comparatively I have worked from home for a long time my wife is also currently working from home I've sort of flopped back and forth between consulting and employment over my career. And I actually, basically I get tired of one of them and then I go do the other thing. And I actually um, converted to an employee in February and I didn't realize at the time how good of a decision that would turn out to be because a lot of contractors, as I'm sure all of you know, it's hard right now for a lot of consultants and contractors. Jamie, I was I was listening to you talk about how you don't feel like you're doing enough. And the thing I would say, and I, I really believe this, I don't know if it'll help or not, but here goes, is that every day that we observe physical distancing or self-isolation, we are actively doing something that helps people. Yeah, it's actually been, one of the most important things we can do. I've been thinking about that a lot, too. I read like a Twitter thread about this where it was like, if you're sitting around in your underwear and you're surrounded by your own snack garbage, you're saving lives doing that. Good job. You're crushing it. <laughs> that, they're talking about me right now. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I get it. My anxiety is also not susceptible to logic. But mm -hmm. I, I figure if we keep saying it enough, maybe it'll it'll sink in something yeah. somewhat. Maybe it'll just reduce it 10%, which is, you know, also good. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I really do want to say, Jamie, thank you for, for being honest, because I, I do, I really believe that a lot of folks are probably feeling more so like you might be feeling who listen to this show, because a lot of, you know, most folks here are in tech. And we had gotten to this place in the job workforce that people were feeling very confident about their decisions to leave and take chances on themselves. Like, it, it, the economy was booming. You know, mm -hmm. six months ago, I would have told somebody hell yeah, quit your job. You only live once. You'll get another one. Like we're, we're in a good spot. And that was a little pompous of me to say that. So I, I mean, there's been, I've gotten so many reach outs from people that are either having been told that they might lose their job in a couple of weeks or they already have lost their job. And folks who were sort of in the gig economy kind of straddling, like I was working 20 hours here and I was doing the other kind of 20 and 30 on my own. So there's just a lot of people who I think are in a feeling of anxiety and despair and do not feel secure. And even yeah. if you do have a job, you don't feel necessarily secure. I'm also like very fortunate because like I know that there are so many people that are, you know, panicking about finances. And even though I'm not working, I'm like not at the point right now where I'm panicking about finances. Like my husband is actually still working. He's considered essential. Uh, he works at a machine shop, um, but his machine shop does like um, the city like sewer and plumbing. So um, he's still working. It's like a little bit scary that he has to go out and such, but it's not like an extremely social kind of thing to do. And so we still have like an income and... I still feel like I'm in a very fortunate position, 
uh, I was like trying to express recently that like I need to find a job. Obviously, I need to find a job because of finances, like at some point. But I think that like my mental health from not having anything to do and not having a routine is like something's got to give with that faster than I'm going to become in like extremely dire straits financially, which is a fortunate position to be in. But I still need to find a job because I'm going to go crazy. And so I'm kind of like doing a lot of rationing of that kind of stuff in my head about like, well, what's important? When do I need to be doing this? Like what, like what's my plan? So I don't know. It's kind of wild. Yeah. I can appreciate that for sure. That's interesting. Um, you know, do you feel like there's been any opportunity people have reached out about getting you like, like getting involved in like open source projects or volunteering? I've seen lots of folks who are like looking for people to help on sort of like hackathons that they're, that they're doing virtually right now to try to help in terms of either coming up with a direct solution, whether it's like healthcare related or non-healthcare related that could sort of help supply chains and people in other parts of the world. I've seen a lot of that, but I, but to be honest with you, I haven't actually had the time to like dig in because I get lost in those rabbit holes. So I've been holding yeah. off on doing that, but I'm just curious if you, if anybody's hit you up to ask you about that. No, I haven't seen a ton of that personally but i guess i don't know i haven't been doing a great job like keeping up with stuff because like again the other aspect of this is like for instance um i was supposed to speak at railsconf and railsconf is doing online version of the conference now which is something i would totally also love to talk about in this episode about like what's going on with the conference scene but so they asked me if i would do a video of my talk to put in their like they're calling it railsconf couch um, which is kind of cute. And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And like, it's coming up on when I need to be doing that. And like, I just haven't. And it's been on my to do list every day. And I don't have anything else to do. But like, I still haven't done it for some reason. And I'm feeling stressed about it. And I'm like, why am I stressed on getting this thing done when like, I'm dying to have something to do. And I have this thing to do. But I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's just- oh, no, that's normal. Totally. That's totally normal. (laughs) At least in my world. (laughs) So this is the cycle that I'm trapped in right now. I totally understand that cycle. I have been there a few times. Absolutely. When you have um, ADHD, that's just like a Tuesday. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. I mean, I have ADHD, so it's like, when I don't take my meds, (laughs) I'm like, uh, (laughs) time. What is time? My executive function, like, doesn't, it's just, what is that? <laughs> and then I get down and depressed about, like, the fact that I can't actually execute the things I said I was going to do. And I'm like, why am I sad? Or why am I complaining? I, I said I wanted to do these things, and then I can't actually do them. But I've also, I, I don't think I disclosed it here, but in the fall, I went through a big bout of depression for the first time in my whole life. I've always been, like, really up and optimistic and as a person with ADHD I'm like oh anyway moving on to the next thing or next emotion never really sat with my own emotions and be like I'm sad as fuck right now like ever and it hit me and I was like what in the hell is this like I couldn't do anything and it would be like weeks of that and also I wasn't I had things to do people were coming to me for things but like I just couldn't I couldn't get out I couldn't get out of the funk I was in I couldn't get out of this weird space I was in and I, I actually don't know what, what changed. I think it could have been a change of the weather or something that it was just like one day it changed, but it was several weeks of that. And it felt like it was forever. It's, it might not be the exact same thing you're feeling right now, but like, I, I feel like I can relate to it. Yeah. I also was having a pretty hard time in the fall and winter. Like I quit my job because of like mental health kind of reasons and um, made some changes in my life and it like felt good but it's kind of like, it's scary to me now. I'm still doing better now than I was, you know, in like November, but I feel like I made all this progress and then immediately the world was like, nope, like shut down on that. Like you can't keep doing all of these things that you were doing to like make changes in your life to be better. And so it's been scary for me about like well how much of this progress am i losing and going to lose yeah it's, it's not a good feeling to to worry about that i i don't think i'm struggling with depression on the same level but like the 
urge to do things that improve me <laughs> is gone. Like it's in the like I can keep shit running stage, but it's not the make things better stage. That's a good way to put it. I understand what you mean totally. You know the nice thing about bipolar disorder is at least if you wait a week you'll feel different. <laughs> 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 or sometimes not even a week, huh? Like mm. it could be you cycle different than a week. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but that sort of reminds me of in some ways of that conversation we had before about resiliency or like, you know, the difference between thriving and surviving. I definitely think folks are gonna be in survival mode. You know, just and I understand it because I you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I'm all about that model and just sort of and, and also, it, it aligns nicely with, like, energetic stuff, if you're into chakras and things like that. So it's like you're really stuck into your root chakra because that's about your primal, the, these primal things we believe and know to be true about our identity and um, having money and things like that. And then, yeah, it's like I, I definitely, all the things I'm seeing remind me of that, uh, like living in the red, <laughs> living in the first root chakra. And um, I don't see as many people as much as we might want to be in that place of like self-actualization and transcendence, like get the hell out of here with that. Like folks are legit <laughs> worried about where they're going to live and like, or if they're not worried about it today, they'll be worried about it in 30 more days or not even, which just makes for like anxious energy for the collective. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a lot. And I just rant for a second about people who are like, chakras don't exist. They're not real things in your body. It's Please called rant. a metaphor, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually um, preparing to send an email to my landlord and say, listen, you know, I'm still doing great. Like, I don't anticipate any problems, you know, paying rent for the foreseeable future. And then I'm just like, jinx. Like, fuck, can I even, like, write these words on, like, his, like, shit changes so fast. <laughs> Speaking of, like, uh, my friend Aaron pointed out that the phrase for the foreseeable future is a completely different phrase than it was, like, two months ago. <laughs> it means, yeah. like, next week. Like, that's how far we can foresee <laughs> at the most. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I think that there are, there are people who say, oh, we can recession-proof our business. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't think anything is truly recession proof, period. And it does take these catastrophic sort of things to make humans either rise or fall. Um, but it sucks while you're going. It really does suck while you're going through it. And I, and I don't, I just don't think that we can all be overly confident. Anybody who has a job, I mean, we don't know because the rent somewhere, like, let's say you have a job and it's going great and your company's doing well. But like, how are their vendors and their suppliers and like the folks that help with just actually getting the business done? Like, it's interesting. I know I signed up for health insurance more than 30 days ago, but like I haven't received a damn thing from the health insurance company about my cards or like any of that. Because they're probably because they're not at work. They're not like going physically to the office. So I'm like, hmm, they're probably not printing those. <laughs> and so like how I mean, I'm just using that for an example. It's like, how long do things like that happen? Or, you know, um, there are folks who, who, who provide essential and vital services, but even still, we're, we're running very thin. Yeah. And it's just, it's just interesting because this is the first time we've seen it happen globally. And it's like we might recover soon in this country, like th three to four months, but then somebody else will be going through it and we're going to have to help them. One of the things that I keep coming back to when I think about what does this mean long term? Uh, for people, for society, is that the things that the changes we're experiencing are they're a difference in degree and not in kind. What I mean by that is people today are experiencing precarity in employment, in access to food, and all sorts of things that are new to them. Maybe they've never had to worry about whether they could get health care before. But people have to worry about that all the time. You know, it's new to you, but it's not new. Touche. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff about, like, you know, people who are doing pretty well, like middle class people, realizing, like, you're not actually as rich as you think you are. 
I, I mean, even before this happened, I would see this kind of discourse occasionally. And I always thought it was interesting. Like, even if you're doing really well, you're like a couple of really bad months from being like broken, struggling, but you're not a couple of really good months away from being like a billionaire. Like there's a real difference, even with people like that, there's like golf. And then there's like, oh, you can't people on the podcast are gonna be able to see what I'm doing with my hands. So this is a bad <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> but like the gulf between like normal people, a normal person who's like pretty financially secure, a normal person who's like having a hard time financially. There's a gulf there, but then the gulf between either of those people and like Jeff Bezos is like a whole different thing. And I totally agree with that. And I think that this is really highlighting that like a lot of people are in those a couple of bad months away from like disaster right now. I think it's going to be eye opening for like lots and lots and lots of people. Yeah. And I think it's like, I, I have a possibly naive hope that, uh, you know, this is going to help them, those, those very middle class people, which, you know, I'm among them for sure. Like start to realize like how everyone else is living and yeah. understand the need for like universal health care and like UBI, dare we say it, and things like that 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 do insulate like the like humanity from from the gutter that would be so great if we all had that. One thing I've been thinking a lot about universal basic income also, and like one of the big arguments I've seen against it is like, well, then if people don't have to work, like they just won't do anything, like they'll just like not contribute to society in any way. And I think that this whole situation is like a huge exercise in the how obviously not true that is. Because like, even now we're in a pandemic, I like just like we just said, it's totally reasonable to just not do anything if that's what you don't feel like doing. And like lots and lots of people are still being like really creative and putting out like content, entertaining us, artists, you know, uh, all sorts of creatives. They're help, people are helping each other. Like people are not, even in these situations where it would be okay to do that, I think people are not as a whole just sitting around not contributing to society. I mean, to put maybe too fine a point on it, the things that are working are socialist ideas for mutual aid for solidarity for things that are sometimes derogatively called safety nets as if a thing that prevented people from dying could possibly be bad and they work now and they work even better when there isn't a global crisis yes exactly yeah you know the thing that also when you were saying that i was or when you were talking jamie just a few minutes ago i was thinking you know what like there are days where I just don't feel like doing anything, but then I'm so thankful that somebody in my like collective community felt like doing something that I didn't want to do. And it's like these things, these feelings we have go good thing that they go like in flow or they, they somehow some way when I'm not feeling well, somebody else can show up like even on our panelists, right. Of all of us, like there could have been a lot more here, but thank God that like there's four of us here today who had the capacity to talk and next week it could be different. And it's okay. It, it, it truly is okay to take a break because you have to believe that somebody out there will show up when you can't, you know, but I do, I think it, the, the kind of the opportunity here would be to like have a coalition that is intentional to say, listen, like, it's great to like, if you're doing nothing else, like find people that at least share morals and values with you and try to have a community, build it somehow, some way so that when you can't show up that you can call on even like one other person to fill in. I mean, yeah. this is why the the myth of individual responsibility and individual performance isn't just wrong. It's also so incredibly damaging. Hell yeah. <laughs> right, that's right. We cannot, we cannot survive alone. That's right. That is totally a myth. It's interesting that, like, you know, there's so many different kinds of disasters we could be living through. And, like, this exact flavor of disaster, like, I think one of the reasons that it's so rough is because, like, we are very social and, like, we do need companionship. And it feels like the very first thing that this situation did was kind of take that away from us. And I think that's made everything else a lot more challenging. But I have also seen people, you know, coming 
together. Like I have not been on a video chat so much in my life as I have in the past week. And I do a lot of video chats already because I have worked from home for six years. So like I heard people talking about like Zoom, like my mom who doesn't know how to use a computer was asking me about Zoom. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, the, the funny thing is my kids who they're not in kindergarten yet, but they're setting up Zoom dates for the kids. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God. And it's funny. Some of the teachers had never used Zoom before. So I was thinking like, well, what have you been using? And they hadn't had to. So I think it it, it kind of forces them to up their skill set too, to bring them to the, to this century <laughs> or to, to, to this, uh, to this new kind of fourth industrial revolution that we should be embracing. And this is definitely forcing their hands. I'm actually happy that that's happening. I just want there to be just so much more intention about it. That brings up another good point, which is that like, there are things that I'm kind of happy to see happening too. Like it's unfortunate that it had to be in this situation like, I've always been, like, a really big proponent of remote work. I've worked remotely my entire career. I don't think I could work not remotely. Um, I'm just not cut out for it for several reasons. Um, actually, the talk that I mentioned that I'm working on for RailsConf is about – it's called Achieving Inclusivity uh, Via Remote Work. And it's Ooh. about, like, you know, people in from ep- underrepresented backgrounds, like – remote work helps us a lot. Like I taught, I'm going to talk about like, you know, my mental health and why that makes it hard for me to go into an office. I'm also going to talk about like being trans and like being actively in a gender transition and like the mortifying ordeal of being known and having people look at your physical form every day. But so I've always, I'm fortunate because I have worked remote my whole career, but I see other people that are in similar situations that me that like can't. Because their company is like, oh, we don't do that or whatever. We can't work from home. We can't do remote. And I think that as you're seeing, everyone is doing it right now. And there's a lot of like, can't, can't, can't that we've heard in the past. And now suddenly we can. Um, and I think that's going to be hard to put back. Me too. And I'm excited for it. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah. Revenge. A number, <laughs> a number of um, Pandora's boxes are opening, but and they contain good things. Like realizing that people can just work from home and it's fine. Right. And that like asynchronous communication is okay. And like you don't need to have instant gratification. Or if you if you're looking for the instant gratification, get that out of your brain now because people do not have to reply to you when you send a message. They actually do have lives. You know? You know, like um grocery store workers are crucial infrastructure and should be paid a livable wage. Absolutely. Like they are critical. They CNAs, they've been treated like crap and get paid horribly in the healthcare system, but they are so critical. I've seen a big need of those folks. They have not had any time off. And when they get sick, like shit goes to hell. There's the, the whole, I mean, it, it probably should be a hierarchy, but it is of, of like medical stuff down down to the levels of the inf- and the you know the the cleaners and the janitorial staff in the hospitals like they gotta be doing their thing and like from that group up you like suddenly it becomes clear you know what value they're providing to to a wider level that value is always there but it's it's like this is bringing that out and making it obvious yeah it's like the invisible is more visible today which i really appreciate Ooh, ooh, Virginia Satir. Go, go for it. <laughs> um, make invisible things visible and make covert things overt. Yeah. One of the things that's been really interesting to me is to see all of the different ways that people are adapting and to see that it doesn't require central organization. These things are happening in completely democratic ways, completely decentralized ways, um, but they're very effective. Uh, and I think I, I think I know what sorts of things you're talking about. But do you want you want to have some? Ex- do you have some examples of that? Yeah. So you know, people bringing groceries to you know elderly or at risk people in their neighborhood, um, finding ways to connect with friends when you can't see them physically. You know, all sorts of things that people are doing. And the interesting thing for me is that 
One of the things you learn in resilience engineering is that this capacity to adapt isn't created in response to a crisis. It was already there and it's being uncovered. I've been thinking a lot about the adaptability of people also. Like I've seen it happen in myself too, because like one of the things that has been continually striking to me about this whole situation, especially at the very early days of it was like how fast I lost track of what seemed normal versus what seemed like fiction almost. And so I mentioned that I was supposed to work at South by Southwest this year. But at the point when South by Southwest got canceled, like we had seen some conferences get canceled Um, But I did not think that they were going to cancel South by. I just was like, you know, smaller conferences got canceled. Smaller conferences that were like hosted by one person are so much easier to cancel than something like South by that's got like so many pieces and different. Some of it's not even part of the festival. How can you cancel it? You can't stop people from doing that, like doing unofficial stuff. People are still going to go. So I was really surprised when that happened. Um, And it came as kind of a shock to me. And then like less than a week later, they were shutting down entire cities and quarantining entire cities. And I was like, good, they should. And that happened very quickly. (laughs) And I was just like, I can't believe how quick my brain went from like, what is happening to like, yes, this is what we have to do. And like, these are the steps that we're all going to have to take. I think it got me thinking about just how adaptable people are. And it's comforting to me because the scariest thing about this like what where we're living right now here on you know april 3rd to me at least i think a lot of people will agree is just that like we don't know what it's gonna be like in a while we don't know what the situation with the virus is gonna be like we don't know what the situation with the quarantine is gonna be like we don't know what society is gonna look like and that's very scary (laughs) i am scared about it and so it's comforting to me to think but like Even what we're doing now was a total unknown two weeks ago. And I'm, you know, it's hard, but like, I'm here, I'm adapting to it as best I can. And like, even these scarier things in the future, I will adapt to them too, in some way, even if I don't understand them or that way now. Oh, yeah, it's, it's gonna be a four. It's it's really good. Because I was often like, I want more people to, to go through something so they have that resiliency, that grit about them. And this is like a thing that forced people to do it. Like, I grew up in a lot of chaos, so I'm used to not knowing what the next day will bring. But a lot of people don't grow up that way. So for me, it hasn't been like the, the unforeseeable future. The, like losing money or losing a job isn't as scary because I've lost jobs before. And I've lived poor. Um, I, I grew up, I, I, I've grown up in families that, that don't have generational wealth and stuff like that. Or we just, but we find a way. And I just think like now more people can actually understand that and we can have even greater understanding and camaraderie. Uh, and I think then when we get to that place, holy cow, like we, we could do so much as a world. Uh, because we're sort of like, all right, now we understand what it means to actually be resilient. Like that thing where we thought there's no way in hell we can sit at home or we can lose our job or we can go through this or that. Yes, we can. Yes, we actually can. So I'm excited to see what happens this fall in this country because there's a lot of, I'm not going to get political, but ooh, yes, we can. I'm, I'm kind of um, sad that I already used up my Virginia satire quote token because <laughs> this is a, this is a much better opportunity. So she, um, <laughs> she did an interview and uh, it'll be in the show notes because it's good. You can actually find parts of it on YouTube even. If you actually want to watch her talk, it's great. Um, but she did an interview, and one of the questions she was asked was, how is it that you're comfortable with the unknown? And she said, well, I have you know, my eyes, my ears, my voice, my arms, my legs, my mind. I have me, and whatever situation I go to, I'll still be, you know, I'll have me. I have everything I need, you know, no matter what happens. So how could I not? Yeah. If you're a person listening who has never like gotten to know you, this could be the time to like just literally get to know you. And getting to know yourself is not like always happy. It's not always like a glass half full situation. Like I know from my own personal experiences, it's like looking at yourself with the ugly truth and being like, "Ooh, I didn't realize that I was there. Um, what's this? 
you know, and then you have to like grapple with it and like sit with it. And this is the time to sit with it. I know people who have survived prison in solitary confinement for years and they've come out on the other side of it. So it's better than sitting in solitary confinement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Making the covert overt. We've, we've been talking a lot about the technical term is adaptive capacity. And one thing I want to highlight is that this capacity to adapt, even though this sounds like a very technical term, it doesn't come from technology. It doesn't come from software. It doesn't come from machines. It doesn't come from tools. It comes from people. Ooh. And you don't have to have anything special to have adaptive capacity. You just need to have people. So yeah. if you're in an organization yeah. and that organization has people in it, you already have adaptive capacity. And it's just about finding it. Or even letting it happen, letting the adaptation happen without like trying to maintain whatever old structure was running things. On the other hand, I feel like I'm currently experiencing the exact opposite of all this nice stuff that we've all just been saying, including me. Because while we were recording this, I was texting um, my husband because my favorite restaurant is closing tomorrow. Um, so they've been doing takeout, but like as of tomorrow, they're like, we're going to close. We don't want our, you know, employees to have to come out and all this stuff. So we were like, okay, well, we're going to order like my favorite restaurant takeout on like the last day. And he called them and they're not uh, taking any more orders. And I'm like going to cry about it. Like I'm going to cry. Like we're recording a show and I'm going to cry about takeout while we're talking about how he's, how good humans are at adapting to situations. This is happening. <laughs> but isn't crying about it, like, it actually, you have to cry about it, though. Like, you have to cry about it. Yeah, it's it's a thing that happens. And that doesn't mean you're not adaptive. It's a pretty low on the totem pole thing to cry about. <laughs> but you it's know not what? just about that, though. It's no, that. don't say that. Because I feel like you have to, like, when you're in the space that you're in, you have this thing you're looking forward to for the day, and if that thing is gone, you're like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, like I said, I have a lot of people who in my life who have like been through some stuff, people have been to prison in my life. And it's like, if you take away even their ability to get a snack in the day, that ruins it for them. Or they can't see, they can't call home. They can't, they didn't get a pen and paper to write a letter to somebody that they were hoping to like, just get done. That sucks. Like, so it's like, you have, I mean, it's relative to like how, like what your situation is. It's like nobody's kind of circumstances are the same. So I, I totally get it. I don't think you're weird at all. I think you're human. It reminds me of something that, that I, I've been thinking of the last couple of days, which is that like eating other people isn't just like going to get groceries or lending the money or like doing whatever physical things. It's also being the person who's got a little bit more mental health capacity than the other. And you can be the person that listens and the, you know, the, who just talks things through or like being able to like help in that way is, is just as valuable. It's like just trying to keep everyone afloat and helping them deal with where they are. Feelings just are, there's no question about whether they're right or wrong, whether we should or shouldn't be feeling them. They're just what, what is. Amen. Yeah. I've learned, I, I used to live in that place of like really naming the thing, but I don't, I don't like to name it anymore. Because I just think it's part of like my human experience, right? And like, the things that bring me joy are very odd compared to some other folks, right? And like, it, but when I start to compare, well, they say that the comparison is a thief of joy. So I think when I when I compare, it's like I then I feel weird or strange, or I do like, oh, maybe there's something with me. But no, like, what brings you joy brings you joy, whether that's takeout from your favorite restaurant. But here's the interesting part: that you might find a new restaurant that could rival your favorite by not having the thing that you wanted so badly. I can tell you what's bringing me joy right now is your kid. <laughs> They're all over. They're touching every little thing that they can touch. Well, there's nothing more fun than climbing on mommy. Right? <laughs> oh, what are you doing? Having a podcast? Let me try to see if I can ruin it. I'll, I'll just say one more thing, which is, isn't it cool to care about stuff? Even stuff that doesn't seem important. Hmm. I think that's pretty cool. I've been playing a lot of D&D. That's good. That didn't sound as related as I thought it was in my head when I said it. But no, it I feels... get it. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of D&D. <laughs> in fact, I was thinking about it earlier when Shantae was talking about um, 
like things like uh, teachers in school stuff and those kind of things adapting because like my I've been playing a few games that were like already online games, but my regular in-person Saturday morning game has obviously been on hold for the last while. And tomorrow we're doing it remote for the first time. So <laughs> we'll see how that yeah, goes. We switched. Uh, actually, uh, I do one with Sam, who's another one of our um, co-hosts. And I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, it's with Sam, and so Sam actually lives uh, in a duplex with some family friends, and so they are basically like a unit of isolation now. There's no point, you know. So they um, they do it from there, and then I used to head over there, but now I'm remote, and it took a minute, but we figured it out, and it's great. Actually, one of my D and D games is with Coraline, so we've got some greater than code D and D happening. Nice, nice. We should just get a get like a whole panelist campaign together. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be so cool. Because I've had an online game for about a year and a half now. Because my friends who were local moved away and we wanted to play, so uh, that's like, great because it's that like scheduled time to see them, which is like harder to do if there isn't a scheduled time because you always feel like you're imposing or whatever and so it's nice the one thing that i kind of hinted at that i was like thinking about circling back to talk about was like conferences here's my question about conferences or anything that's like where we have large social gatherings like will we ever be able to have them again do we do we need to have conferences like what's the good Versus the bad, like what's the risk to benefit analysis with having conferences and not having them? I think nobody has successfully replicated the hallway track online. That's kind of what I was going to say too. Like, I think the idea of having online conferences is cool. I hope we keep doing that. I think that it's like great for a lot of reasons, you know, accessibility, you know, not everyone can go to conferences anyway. It's going to make it more like, open it up to more people in a way that like I'm for, but I do, I do hope I would not like it to replace the concept of in-person conferences. I think we need both. The thing I'm interested to see is yes, hallway tracks aren't a thing that works, but that doesn't mean that something different that is also very good. Couldn't be uniquely something that remote conferences can do. Yeah, so, I think it's time for some innovation in that area because right now we're just sort of trying sort of trying to replicate what we used to have rather than coming up with a new thing that works in that medium. Yeah, it's, I think it's it should be less about trying to replicate every feature of an in-person conference and more about taking advantage of the really unique things that you can do. Like when our team moved remote, we lost some stuff, but we gained so much more that we couldn't have done when we weren't remote. What one of the thoughts I had previously before these things even happened is earlier this year, I said, you know, there's a lot of like everyone's having a conference and there's a lot of money tied up in these conferences. And I was slightly annoyed that they had gotten so big because I was like, they're kind of, it's taking the novelty out of them. But I, I, I'm really interested in seeing like what we can do in this new kind of new way of living and how like perhaps we can reshift some of that money to do other things and like invest in like, you know, virtual reality or augmented reality and opportunities where we can have somewhat of a hallway track and conversation of bumping into people randomly and learning folk, learning about new people and new things that we weren't able to do before. And if we could redirect that funding to something like that, that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, if we're all doing this for six months and we can't come up with something more innovative than, like, the Zoom model, just the standard teleconferencing model, what are we doing? Like... For Trying real. to survive a pandemic, Rain. <laughs> that is a fair point. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't disagree with you, though. I think that, like, this conversation is always so hard to have because, by nature, we can't imagine things that other people haven't invented yet. <laughs> we don't know what those things yeah, are. And if we did, that. then we would have just invented them. <laughs> it would be cool if we could. That's a whole other conversation about how does innovation even work? Like, what is the act of being creative? Like, what the hell is that? It makes no sense. You just, there's a thing and there, that wasn't there before, it just exists now? What? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone has a good answer for that yet. <laughs> 
So if we could just figure out how to mechanize creativity, we'd be all set. I'm here for that. Isn't that, like, what the tech industry has been trying to do to all of its workers? I don't know that there's been that much creativity. Creativity? This economy? Anyway, I'm going to go away now. (laughs) Okay, good talk. Bye. So one of the things that we wanted to mention here on this episode uh, is that not only are we dealing with this, everything, everyone is dealing with this, and particularly there are a lot of people who are out of work now, um, even in technology. Uh, and so one of the ways that we um, devise to help that out is to um, open up people to join our Slack. Uh, we have a very active jobs channel and um, some other resources that we're assembling to help people get in touch with um, work that's going on in tech. And uh, so at this point, I don't actually know what the process is for getting an invite. So I should probably not be the person talking about it. <laughs> I, I believe if you message one of us on Twitter, um, I know that Rain was taking like DMs on Twitter. Uh, my DMs on Twitter are also open. Uh, so feel free to just find one of us and reach out, I would say. Yes, that would work uh, for me as well. John K. Sowers. And, you know, this is like, we would still appreciate if you wanted to join, if you want to join the Patreon and help support the podcast, but that's not a requirement anymore to join the community because we really need it. it, You know, the more people are then there, the better it works for all of our support needs and our job information sharing. And we, and we just want to support our community. And I think that we've, we've talked a lot in this episode about how people are, how people are coming together despite like the current limitations and like we need that as people. And so I think that what we're doing here with our uh, Slack community is part of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's not just if you're looking for a job, like there's all the usual awesome greater than code listener type people who we can share this experience with. Thank you. Thank you all for, for showing up. This has been a good conversation and I'm enjoying it. We'll see you again yeah. soon. That's right. Thank you.